Online with Aaron Rios, lead pastor of Garden City Church. We pray that you are encouraged and enriched as you press on towards the cause of Christ. Well, I have to admit, when I uh, began putting this message together, I didn't feel like it sounded mature enough. Uh, I like to wrap up my messages with some type of a big takeaway or a big main idea because I want you to walk out carrying something that's not from me, but from the heart of God. And if it's from the heart of God, then it really should grip your heart and it really should should bring about some type of a change. So that when you wake up in a couple of days, there's something that remains. See, if it's something that's being brought from me, from a man, from just my mind, from my own intellect, then and it might influence you for a while, but I'm not looking to influence anybody. I want God to bring transformation. I'm pretty convinced that, man, sometimes we can influence the heart of other people just a little bit, but I don't believe a man can ever transform another man's heart. I think we can cause it to be swayed. I think we can lay out some breadcrumbs that will maybe lead you in a direction, but I think ultimately the duty, the responsibility, and the process of heart change, that's an act of God and God alone. So I have to be careful that if I have your ear, I want to bring you something from God's throne. And so as I was preparing for this, like I said, I felt a little silly because I felt like it's kind of juvenile. But then it dawned on me and I know the Holy Spirit whispered to me, don't complicate things. You know, in kids church, we sing Jesus loves me, this I know. And we sing, you know, oh, the Lord is good to me. And we sing these, you know, these really simple songs and something happens around the time we become a teenager and get into adulthood. We no longer want to entertain the things that we've deemed childish. And in doing that, we've thrown out some important truths like Jesus does love you, don't you know? And the Lord is good to me. And so when I bring a simple thought I wanna be careful not to overcomplicate it because we shouldn't have to have a degree to comprehend God's word. So here's what I want you to walk away with. And I don't want you to walk away with something I'm telling you. I want the Holy Spirit to bring this to life in you. It's very simple. Do not focus on this world, but get focused on the things that you are supposed to be doing to this world. Let me say that again. Do not focus on this world. Instead, focus on what God has called you to do to and in this world. And I don't mean that as a threat. I don't mean that to be hostile. It's not like, look what I'm gonna do and as if we're gonna carry out something terrible. No, but God has placed you in this time and in this place to affect this season, to affect this space. God has called you here for a reason. We have to keep repeating these things. We gotta get this deep down in us that we are here for mission. I'm gonna explain that in a minute. I'm gonna be reading out of Romans today. It's simple, short passage, Romans chapter 12. Before I read that, I wanna kinda set it up here. Paul has written this letter to the Roman church. All right. Um, from what I've read and various commentaries and some stuff that, that scholars have written, just what I've picked up here and there, it seems like Paul had intention of doing greater ministry in Rome. If you remember in the book of Acts, Paul was on a boat in a storm and everybody thought they were going to die. Paul originally tried to tell them this wasn't a good idea, that they needed to take a different route and do these different things, but nobody listened. And they find themselves for days and days and days in a storm. An angel appears to Paul and says, fear not. Like, hey, Paul, relax, man. Like, you're, you're not going to die. And nobody else here is going to die. Um, um, because you're on mission, Paul. 
And when you're on mission, when God has called you to do something, you're gonna face some problems, right? You're gonna, you're gonna be in storms and you're gonna get shipwrecked. You might have to swim for a little while. Um, it could be scary from time to time. It's gonna feel like there's sharks uh, swimming around you. You may wash up on Malta. Um, you may have a serpent bite you on the hand. You might have to deal with some restless natives. Um, you're gonna have to deal with some stuff, but I want you to understand that your purpose and the plans that God has for you, they cannot be stopped, Paul. So you can go ahead and be confident that no matter what happens, you're not gonna die, you're gonna make it. And along the way, there's gonna be some pretty amazing miracles. So I want you to know that when you get a hold of the thing that God has called you to do, and more importantly, when the things that God has called you to do get a hold of you, then we become focused on other things. That's why I started off by saying it's a really simple message. Lose focus on this world and gain focus on the thing that God has called you to do. I believe as we begin to get a hold of the destinies that God has waiting for the church and waiting for the body of Christ, then I'm not gonna have time to live in fear and anxiety and depression. I think I'm gonna start to live with a little bit of anticipation and I'm gonna wake up each day and say, God, is this the day that you're gonna do it? Is this gonna be one of those days that you're gonna demonstrate your power? Is this gonna be one of those days when you do something mighty of biblical proportions? Oh, I, I realize that people suffer with anxiety and fear, but I think that there might be some of the days that we wake up and say, Lord, is this one of those days that, uh, that you're gonna bring healing in my life or deliverance in my life? life. Uh, is this going to be the day that my story changes? Because I have a destiny. I've got a mission. I've got a purpose. And for me to get there, I've got to stop focusing on my Instagram and my Facebook feeds because everywhere I look, all I see is negativity being poured out. All I see is distraction. And if I get so focused on what this world is doing, then after a while, I'm going to lose focus on the kingdom of God. And you've called me to higher things. You've called me to greater things. And so I'm asking you today, God, that you help me to be kingdom minded. I'm going to dig into God's word. Can I pray with you for just a second? Father, in Jesus name, crack open your word today and change me. Crack open your word in this moment and do something revolutionary in me because I believe you're calling the church to take their eyes off of the world. I think we're so focused on trying to be relevant to this world and trying to save the world. We've taken our eyes off of Christ, the one who can save the world and the one who already died for this world. So I pray in these next few moments that you'd minister to my heart in a brand new way. Bring about a heart change in every single listener. In the mighty name of Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm going to be reading out of Romans chapter 12, just verses one and two. It says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul's writing this letter while he's on house arrest to a church that's existing in Rome. And it's amazing that even though Paul spent his time in house arrest, he didn't lose any of his authority. He didn't lose any of his influence. He was still able to write these letters to instructed churches how to move towards Christ-like authoritative living. It's amazing. Even if the devil tries to box you in, some of you have been boxed in with sickness. You feel like you can't even leave your home. Let me tell you, you can still influence the masses. God will create avenues and opportunities for you to still carry out his work. So what's the culture like? 
Hey, let me paint a scenario for you. Tell me if it sounds familiar. Paul is writing to a church in a Roman culture. In the Roman culture, it was filled with idolatry. It was filled with secularism. It was filled with all sorts of false religions. Everybody had a God everywhere and all of their gods were very seductive, very, uh, uh, here's a big word, lascivious. It was very carnal. Um, within that religious community, you see just an overwhelming onslaught of, of pedophilia and pornography, homosexuality, prostitution. Everywhere you go, divorce was just through the roof. I don't know if that culture sounds familiar to you, but I'm not sure if Rome has not tried to inflict itself on our Western culture nowadays. And so now Paul is not so much concerned with the current of the world. He's not so much concerned with the sin in the world as he is as sin in the church. He's writing to a church saying, listen, guys, you're you're in the water on a boat to pull people out of the water because they're gonna be drowning around you. But if you get water in the boat, then you're gonna be drowning along with everybody else. How are you gonna make a difference unless your life looks different? If you're so inundated with the culture around you and you're working so hard to be relevant to the culture around you, uh, you're, you're, not, you're not being an influence at all. See. If the church is seeking to be effective in culture, if you're looking for avenues to be effective in your culture, you're gonna be overwhelmed unless you're the one doing the overwhelming. Again, some of the words I'm using today might sound a little aggressive, like we're supposed to get out there and do something. We're supposed to get out there and influence. Absolutely. God has put within you the authority and the same resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that spoke the world into creation and that raised Christ from the dead. That's the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Do you not think that the power of God that moved in Christ, that now lives in you, wants to simply lay dormant and just give you a pick-me-up every time you need one? Or do you believe that God is present in your life to bring about radical change in our cities and in our towns and in our communities? You're gonna have to come to a place where you reckon the idea of God doing in you and God doing through you immeasurably more than you could possibly hope or think or imagine. But you're gonna have to reconcile that God actually wants to bring about a great work in you and through you. Otherwise, we're just an ambiguous group of people floating around with a set of beliefs like everybody else. But if we come to a place where we begin to recognize that I'm here for a reason, then things are gonna start to change. The way I begin to look at the world is gonna begin to change. I'm gonna get excited when I see problem because problems ask for solution. Problems grant me the opportunity to present a solution. It gives me an opportunity to present Christ. So Paul's writing to a church in Rome that has to stand their ground. Paul's writing to a church that has to regain influence, that has to walk in authority. And Paul brings it to this place. He begins talking about the body. And I really like how Romans 12 opens up because it begins with I urge you, therefore, brethren. If you've read this before, slow down. Slow down. The original language, this phrasing, if you look at this original sentence and the original words, I parakletos you. 
If that word sounds familiar, it's because the Holy Spirit is referred to as the advocate, the paraclete, the one to come alongside. Paul is speaking under an unction of the Holy Spirit. There's a deep urgency. I urge you. I plead with you. I paraclete. I advocate on behalf of God's mercies. I command you. You can't lose this. This is a very strong introduction. Paul begins by advocating God's mercies that you would be in right standing with God. If you read this too quickly, it's gonna get overlooked that Paul was whispering to the church through the pages and to this day, he's urging the church by God's mercies, not by your ability. The Holy Spirit wants to speak authoritatively. There are things that God is urgent about. When's the last time you felt an urgency in your soul? When's the last time that there's been an urgency in your heart birthed by the Spirit of God through God's Word or maybe through a preacher? What are you urgent about in regards to the things of God? When is the last time the Holy Spirit urgently spoke to you? I believe He's speaking urgently today. But we tune it off because anytime anything becomes just a little bit too confrontational, well, we get offended. Well, that preacher offended me. He confronted me. And that's not his job. Only God can judge me. Really? God's word confronts. And if you're not being confronted, if you're not feeling challenged, then what we're doing is we're denying the power of the cross. See, the cross confronted our sin. The cross confronted and challenges us because Jesus didn't die for sin as if sin was something that existed parallel to me, like something outside of me. But when I realized that sin is the core of who I am, then I realized that Jesus Christ died for all of who I am to redeem all of who I am. I can't separate sin and pretend that Jesus just died for a part of me or for a bad attitude or just from behavior that's just not pleasing from time to time and that everything else about me is acceptable. The Bible says while I was dead in my sins and transgressions, that while I was an enemy of God, he died for me. So I've got to realize what my starting position was. My starting position when I came into contact with Christ was dead. My starting position, your starting position is dead. An enemy a dead enemy. You know what we do to dead enemies? Historically, we dance over their graves. But do you know what God did? You know what God did to his dead enemies? He brought them to life. Raised them up into newness. What are you urging about? If you continue to read here, it says, Brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice a living and holy sacrifice. We could stop there and just say, you know, bring your bodies here. But you know what? If it was just about my physical body, then my life would be a, a set of religious checklists. Yep, my body went to church, my body read my Bible verse, my body flipped open my Bible, my body this, my body that. Paul is speaking of something far deeper than just your physical body. Paul is saying, I urge you, my brothers, to present, now, now, now follow me here. The language that's being used here, Paul is, is trying to urge something in that, that could sound a little weird in our language, but he's, he's saying, I urge you to present your your energies. Now, I'm not talking about crystals and pyramids and, and that kind of energy. 
I'm talking about that which dwells inside of you, that moves you, that causes your limbs to move. See, anybody could stand up in church and listen to a worship song, but your mind is on the buffet. Your mind is wondering about uh, the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich and the Popeye's chicken sandwich. You can be standing up in worship and swinging your hands about, but you're thinking about your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You're thinking about your money. You're thinking about what you're gonna be doing after church. And Paul is saying, if your bodies are getting up and doing this, but your mind is elsewhere, that's what I need you to get a hold of. That's what I need you to present. God, I urge you to present that part of yourself to God, not the part of you that's going through the motions. A lot of us will say, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, I don't want to present that to God because you don't know where my mind is. You don't know what I'm thinking. You don't know what I was doing at three o'clock in the morning. You, I can't present that to God. Can I share something with you? For a long season of my life, I spent my life building my own kingdom. I didn't know I was doing that. I did it with, with, with somewhat good intentions and motives, but I spent a season of my life going out and doing my own thing, building my own thing. And when God finally got a hold of me and said, you, turn around. I want to take hold of your life. Bring it to me. I stopped and I'm like, God, I, I don't. I don't have anything to bring to you. I've got filthy language. I've got a filthy mind. I have filthy habits. And everything I've labored over for wouldn't bring you glory. I don't have anything to bring you, God. And so I thought I just would just show up and I would just present what I could because I couldn't present what was really on the inside. But when God began to move and he showed me, I want that. I want you to bring me your filth, your dirty, your dirty laundry. I want you to bring that to me because what I began to understand is that in the Old Testament, people went through labor to raise their beautiful sheep and to raise their beautiful goats and to raise their beautiful livestock, to march it into Jerusalem and to bring it to the priest so the priest could cut it open and lay it on the altar. But God wasn't there for a barbecue. God wasn't there to have the best barbecue in the city. No, what pleased the Lord was the fragrance of the offering being burnt up because when it was burnt up, there wasn't anything left. And so what I'm trying to communicate to you today is that come to God with whatever you have. If it's a bad attitude and a broken life and a terrible addiction, can I challenge you? Come to God with that and lay that on the altar because the Bible then tells us that the fire of the Lord consumes it and what becomes pleasing to God is the fragrance of the burnt offering because when it's burned up it means there's nothing left there's no going back and I think that the reason why some of the church might be afflicted with some of the problems that we have and I think that the reason many of us feel like we're being overrun by the enemy is because we're not bringing it all to God because we fear it's not acceptable and the point isn't about it being acceptable the point is laying it down so that as it's being consumed, it's the fragrance of the consumption that becomes acceptable to God. Paul is saying, bring your bodies, that which occupies and works in you and through you, your soul, bring that to God. He makes a distinction. He says, a holy living sacrifice. Paul, so what are you telling me to do? Come to God and die? That's become a popular thing to, to talk about, you know? 
But don't forget, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow. He didn't say, pick up your cross and nail yourself right there and die. You, you, you realize that in Roman culture, when you were going to be executed, they did it in such a way that they wanted to make a statement. They made, they made uh, the criminals and they made their victims carry their crosses as a symbol of submission so that everybody can say, look, right here is someone that's been marked by Rome. This person has committed an offense. This person is marked by us. We're in authority over him and now we're gonna put him to death and everybody better keep order or this is also gonna be your fate. See, Jesus understood when, and the culture of that time understood when, 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 when the command to pick up your cross and follow Jesus was given, Jesus was saying, Pick up your cross and get ready to be marked. Get ready to be a symbol. Get ready to be a sign. Everywhere you go, people are gonna see, uh, see not you. They're gonna see dead man walking, dead man walking. But like I said earlier, when I realized when I was coming to give my life to Christ that I didn't have anything in my life, I was already a dead man. But you see, the beauty of the cross is that the dead man that I once was is nailed to that cross. And as I begin to walk, everybody can see that dead man. And what is walking is now now what's alive and what's alive in me is Christ and what Christ has done is he's given me a story about this cross so everywhere I go I can point and say you see this dead man me on this cross what's dead is my sin what's dead is my transgression what's dead is my addiction what's dead is my oppression what's dead is my anxiety what's dead is my fear some of us need to begin to pick up our crosses and start walking towards our destinations but I think we've been so fixated on the condition of the world we begin to look at ourselves and go oh my goodness I'm contaminated I'm there with him oh my goodness who will come and save me who will come and deliver this wretched man and we forget that it's Christ he's already come he's already come to save he's already come to deliver Paul wants us to present ourselves a living sacrifice he uses that phrasing because he's trying to establish an idea to this church the church of Rome your church my church, our church, they understood that sacrificial, sac sacrificial giving meant death. You know, we, we give a percentage in tithes and offerings. We don't give until we're dead, you know? In so many areas of our life, we don't give until we're dead. But he's saying give a living sacrifice, which would have baffled their minds because they would have not comprehending. Sacrifice means death. What do you mean, Paul? And he's saying the old covenant brought death. There was a time when if you wanted to please God, you'd have to spend a whole season raising lambs and presenting that to God. But the new time has come. A new time that our relationship with God and pleasing God is no longer symbolized by death that was handled at the cross, the greatest and final sacrifice. It's now, it's now being symbolized and remembered through life, but we must not forsake the altar. We must not forsake the sacrifice. The altar remains, but we can now live in the fire. We can now live, we can now live through the sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, a distinction of the new covenant from the old dead animals to a new living hope. 
And Paul says to make it an acceptable, pleasing offering. Well, what makes my offering acceptable? This had me baffled. But then I remembered in Hebrews 11:4, it talks about faith through that chapter and through that book. And here's something that caught my eye. It says, and by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Paul, you're telling me to present myself a living sacrifice acceptable to God? How do I deem something acceptable? Paul says, you can't. You don't validate what's acceptable. You just simply have faith that what you present to God, he will accept. Do you believe God accepts you just as you are in your broken condition? Maybe you got three or four divorces under your belt. Maybe you feel like you failed your kids, you failed your family. You can't keep your checkbook together. You can't even stick to a diet. You feel like everywhere you go, you're just failure upon failure. You started to believe there's nothing acceptable about you. You started to believe that you never shake free from those habits. You'll, you'll never get loose. You're starting to believe that you'll never do anything significant for God. You'll never do anything significant. Can I tell you that's a lie from Satan? Can I tell you, if you keep digging in yourself and trying to mine some good quality in yourself, you're gonna be doing it forever. No, the only thing that was good in Paul was Christ. The only thing that's good in me is Christ. And until Christ begins to dwell in you, there won't be anything good in you. That goes against popular belief and popular teaching because we wanna find some type of a validation. It's hard to believe this concept of being born into sin. But I never had to teach any of my children how to do wrong. The journey is teaching them to do right. The journey is being taught how to do what is right. You, even if you feel victimized and out of control, you feel like addiction has the better of you. There's a living God seated on a throne. He can reconcile the broken pieces in your life and bring healing. Paul's challenge is to present our bodies a living sacrifice. This is our spiritual act of worship. See, sacrifice is always synonymous with giving, with worship. Worship's not music. Worship's an altar. So many people want to be spiritual. The Bible tells us clearly, if you want to be spiritual, you got to get your bodies under control. And this goes against, again, the religious current because we're told that religion brings all sorts of freedom. You know, religion allows experimentation. Religion is a freeing of the mind, a freeing of physicality, whether it's the exploration of drugs or sexuality or the life of a vagabond. You know, if we've equated freedom and liberty with wholesome spirituality, and in reality, it's the chastening of your body. It's the enslavement to Christ that equates spirituality. It's not your freedom. It's not living in some hippie commune where you can elevate your mind to some other plane. It's not about being able to, to meditate your way to a place of freedom where you drift away like a cloud. No, true spirituality 
is bondage to Christ Jesus because we need to remain grounded, locked solid on the sure foundation, which is Christ our King, the cornerstone. We've equated our religious faith with the freedom to do whatever we want. And we've used the excuse that Jesus paid it all. And we've answered that with, I don't gotta pay anything. But I hear the master say something just a little bit different. I hear through Paul, the Lord say, would you present your body a living sacrifice? That's everything. Jesus gave it all so that we could give it all. I titled this message Shapes and Patterns because in most translations, when we arrive at verse two, we're being told not to conform to the pattern of this world. What does that mean? Well, conformity is being molded into something. It's not even about being molded around something, but it's literally being pushed into that cookie mold, you know? The old Play-Doh play, play sets used to come with all sorts of molds. I never quite understood how the tube one worked. I always thought that was incredible. But one thing you could not circumvent is with almost all Play-Doh, the greatest joy you could have with Play-Doh is pressing it into a mold. Because you take something that is lifeless and limp and without form and you put it into a mold and it becomes something identifiable. It becomes something recognizable. And we have to realize that the world's on mission to try to take you and me and to press us and shape us into something that they can handle and touch and relate to and recognize. And we're not called to be recognizable. There isn't anything in this world that I should be conforming to. And that's why it's strange. And that's why it's weird. And that's why it's such a challenge because living in this world, we don't, we don't fit into the Play-Doh Playhouse world mold where we look like something. To the world, we look like lifeless clay. But if you go back to the beginning, it says, and in the beginning, God, God formed and God shaped, God created. But we're not just left there. Don't conform. But he tells us to be transformed. And this is good news because I like transformers. Transformers takes the car and turns it into a mighty robot, right? And you say the, the catchphrase for Transformers is more than meets the eye. But if that was all it is, then all I am is a car looking like something else. But Paul takes it a step further. He says, but be renewed, be renewed because God doesn't just take and change and mold and shape and transforms, but he renews. Where are you today? And there are areas in your life that are so broken that even if you tried to transform it, even if you allowed yourself to be transformed deep down inside, you know, you're still the same hurting, broken person. You just look different because you put on a different pair of clothes and you got your hair did just a little bit differently. But deep down, you know, you're still the same person. I got good news for you because there's a promise of being born again. There's a promise of being renewed. Romans tells us, be renewed, be renewed. You can be renewed. By age four, we're told by child psychologists that children begin to be able to identify and interact with the world around them because they begin to recognize shapes and patterns. I see a 
oblong shape reappearing over me over and over and over again. And I realize that when I cry, that shape appears again. And as I'm getting older, uh, it's coming into focus. And I begin to recognize that shape. That's my dad and that shape over there. That's my mom. And you gotta understand, Paul saying, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Because if I become to, if I become conformed to the patterns, then all I begin to recognize around me are the worldly patterns, all the shapes. What becomes into focus in my life is worldliness and carnality, but if I shift my eyes towards heaven and I look up like a child looks up at their parent, and I begin to see shapes and patterns, and all of a sudden, I begin to see God more clearly. I become, I see God more clearly, and I begin to realize that when I cry out, my Abba Father, He's beginning to move, and the reason why some of us don't recognize the move of God anymore is because we have our, our heads cast downward, but I say, oh, lift up your head and look up to the heavens. I Lift your head up to the holy hill where I help comes from. The reason why we don't recognize God is because we have our eyes on the world. We have our eyes on what the world is doing to us, not on what we ought to be doing to the world. What is it that we're supposed to be doing to the world? If I had time, I'd share some more scripture with you, but it's very simple. Go ye into all the world and make disciples. But we can't go and make what we're not. We can't go and be who we're not. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by God's mercies, we're being urged. Do you feel an urgency today by God to submit and be transformed and be renewed? Is there anywhere in your life right now that you can think of that needs to be transformed or renewed? Can I pray for you today? Would you pray for yourself in this moment? God, you are calling us to be changed and transformed and renewed. This is your work, not mine. This is what you can do, not me. I humble myself and I ask that you would do just that for your glory and for your honor. Change me, transform me and renew me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. It's an old psalm that King David wrote after he had fallen. He had hope of rising again. And you can have that same hope if you place your faith in Christ. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. I pray you were encouraged, enriched, and inspired to chase after God. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why don't you take a minute and share it? Let's encourage each other with God's word. And remember, if you do not have a church to attend, we invite you to visit us at Garden City Church. We're located at 140 Bridge Street in Beverly, Massachusetts, and we meet in the Emmanuel Congregational Church building. If you need prayer or an encouragement, I invite you to email me at pastor at Garden City church.net or you can visit me online at aaronrios.com or any social media outlet hey till next time keep pressing on towards christ god bless you